Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to episode 62 of the Con Man's Answer Show with Neil Thompson. Neil's the founder of Teach the Geek, an online platform for STEM professionals. He is also the author of the children's book, Ask Uncle Neil, Why Is My Hair Curly? Neil is an advocate for STEM for adults and children alike. He can be found at teachthegeek.com or on his YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. All right, well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Colin Man's Answer Show. This is episode 62. Um, today, my guest is Teach the Geek. His name is Neil. Um, without further ado, introduce yourself, say what you do, who you are, things like that, man. Sure. Thanks for having me. And as you mentioned, I have a business called Teach the Geek, where I work with engineers and scientists, essentially people that work in the STEM fields, that's science, technology, engineering, and math, on their public speaking skills and the the motivation for that whole business came from my own struggles working as an engineer in the medical device industry and having to give presentations every month in front of senior management. And I wasn't very good at it. And I noticed a whole, a whole lot of other engineers weren't all that much better at it than I was. And I think the, the main reason that we weren't all that proficient at it is that we have all this technical expertise, but we weren't the best at distilling it in such a way that non-technical people could understand. And as, as I mentioned, I was talking in front of senior management. So these are VP of sales, CEO, COO, and necessarily technical people. And so when I got a lot better at that, I t- basically took everything that I learned and I turned it into a course called Teach the Geeks to Speak. So that's one of the things that I, I work on. I also have a children's book and it's called Ask Uncle Neil Why Is My Hair Curly? It's about my nephew asking me why his hair is the way it is. And I use science to answer the question and the motivation for me writing that book was to get more kids involved or in, encourage more children to consider careers in STEM since the STEM economy is, is certainly the future. Innovation is the future. And there's no reason why any child should believe that they can't be a part of it. And then the last thing that I do is I'm a patent agent. I became one, let's see, in 2012. So that's guess nine years ago now. I became one because my boss at the time wanted me and he wanted all the engineers at the company, it was a small company, so it was only three of us, including myself, to become patent agents so he wouldn't have to outsource patent drafting to outside counsel like he had been. So I took the I took the test and passed it, and then he still outsourced all the patent drafting to outside counsel. So for a number of years, I wasn't really doing much with my with my with my being a patent agent. A couple of years ago, well, a few years ago, I decided to just go off on my own and and do it freelance just for any individual inventors that could find me and would you know, care to have me write their patent applications. But a couple of years ago, 2019, I started working with a firm here in San Diego where I live. It was virtual the entire time, even pre-COVID. So it was, it was always us meeting virtually and working with our clients virtually. But essentially, I work with the firm with drafting patent applications and responding to correspondence from the patent office. So those are pretty much the three things I do, teach the geek, my children's book, and being a patent agent. It seems to me that you you have a busy schedule, man. But you know, going back to something you said about teaching uh, or teach the geek, um, that's something I've learned too, and that I feel like you could elaborate on this a little more. It's that it's speaking, especially in in senses like that. It's and even writing to an extent. It's all about uh, conveying to the audience as a layperson or a normal person would think through intelligent speak. So like. Because if you're really thinking about it, like when you're talking about a subject that you're very, very intelligible on, you're up here, you know, and the, and the normal person can't really come down to you or can't come up to you. And so the job of the speaker, or the writer is to really come down to that person to convey an intelligent, intelligent um, 
uh, intelligent conversation to a normal person. So I think that's awesome. Have you found that doing that has been harder than you thought, easier than you thought, um, more challenging in, for yourself, for other people? What do you think? Well, it really comes down to people realizing that even though they are experts in their particular field, they weren't always experts. So they should have that empathy for the people that are in the audience that aren't necessarily at, at their level in terms of their expertise, because we're not all experts at everything. So you could be in an audience where someone else is talking about their, their particular area of expertise. And if they're not communicating in such a way that you can understand, well, then you're in the position that others would be in when you're the one giving the presentation. So it's really about having that, as I mentioned, having that empathy for just not necessarily the people in the audience being at the level that you are. And as you mentioned, coming down to their level so that they're, they, they're actually engaged in what you're listening to and or what they're listening to. And you are you essentially didn't waste your time and, and effort in putting a presentation together that no one's gonna listen to. So you said you're an engineer. Did you start out doing that? And, and you said you wanna push more people into the STEM fields. Do you think that STEM, because, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of the things with STEM today, especially with in the college, in the academics, it's like, not that the numbers are falling, but it's kind of being stagnant. And I feel like STEM is something that more people are getting into, but it's slow. Do you think you said STEM is the future? Elaborate on why you think that is. Well, I mean, we're, we're conversing over the Internet right now. So that, as, I think that's proof positive that it's certainly the future. Everybody has an iPhone these days or a, a smartphone. You know, people drive their people drive cars, people have iPads, people just have all kinds of technology around them. And so it's it's in I think it's rather obvious that the innovation economy is the future. I mean, we we're artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, that's only going to become more pronounced as time goes on. And but one thing I do want to clarify is I, I'm not a proponent of pushing more people into STEM. I'm more of a proponent in having them consider STEM as an option. Because I, I just want people to know that STEM is not off limits to them. Anyone can get into it if you have the interest and you're willing to do the work to, to excel at STEM. So that's, that's, that's one thing I, I really would want to, 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 to make clear. I, I'm not actually a fan of when people talk about promoting or just encouraging more people to get into STEM because I just want people to have that, know that it's an option. And if they don't choose the option, well, that, that's okay as well. Yeah. And you know, there is a thing too. It's like, there's so many creative outlets. And like you said, like we're talking over the internet right now, there's a lot of things that, you know, kids growing up, you know, I'm still young that you can find yourself doing, especially in this time and age. And, you know, I'm sure you, you believe in, you believe in school, higher education and things like that. But, you know, I think we're seeing a time where higher education is not for everyone. You can make a high standard of living for yourself by not going to a higher education school. Do you agree? Do you think that higher education, we should be pushing more kids into higher education, not necessarily STEM, but just going to college to elaborate their mind, things like that. Or do you think that in this day and age, you know, people don't have to necessarily go to college? Oh, I'm I'm definitely not the a proponent of the of everybody should go to college. I think that's ridiculous. College is really expensive. So if you're going to go, you have to be really clear on what you're going to do and the outcomes you want from getting that degree. I'm I'm definitely not the type to say that everybody should go to college to get a better life. I mean, I work I, I actually have a podcast myself and one of the guests I had is a, a guy named Mike Roberts and he runs the San Diego Code School. Essentially, he takes people with no coding, no tech background, and he trains them in, in essentially in tech so that, they, so that they can then be apprentices 
at these tech companies here in the San Diego area. So they're, they're basically going through this boot camp, which I think is maybe a couple of months if that. And then they train under more seasoned developers or more seasoned software engineers, and then eventually get hired on at these various companies. And because a lot of the times with these, these type of jobs, though, even if you get a computer science degree, the technology there, those the programs that you're learning in school are obsolete by the time you're done. So you have to relearn or learn a bunch of different languages all over again when you start working. So what was the point of going through a four-year degree and taking on that that debt? So I'm a, I'm a firm believer of people being able to learn outside of the college campus and still be successful. Yeah, and something you said too, with computer science especially, it almost seems like um, because of how fast uh, like the technology is innovating, it almost seems like code is like the certain code that you learn in four years, like you said, is gone in the next four years or not even just that. Like, let's talk about the people who were who were born in the 90s or grew up without cell phones. Every kid today has an iPhone, like you said. Everybody has an iPhone. When I was growing up, when I was in like elementary school, middle school, I didn't have an iPhone until like probably eighth grade. And that's still young for a lot of people. And so I think there's a, especially from the nineties kids or even the eighties kids to the, to now there's a huge jump in how the technology is. And even today, like we're seeing how fast it's moving and how better we're getting. Everybody has a flat screen or a huge flat screen TV. Now um, you like TVs are not as like, you go when I was a kid, like we had the box TVs, like, you know, and, and kids today don't even know what that is. Everybody has a console, a game console. And it's almost like, it's just going to keep getting better and better. And it's going to get harder and harder to learn, I think. Oh, yeah, no, no question. And, 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 and so that's really, it's making the, the point that it was, the, it, there may not be a point in going to school to get to, to going to college to get a degree that you don't necessarily use when you start working. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. They're just pushed to, once you finish high school, it's just the thing to do. You go to college. And if you don't go to college, then you're, you're not living up to your potential. But not only that, but there's also trades. I mean, often There are so many trade jobs that are going unfilled because people think that the trades is beneath them. But you could actually make a pretty good living, living as a plumber or an electrician. So there, there are certainly other paths that people can take to become successful that don't involve college. I don't know if they're a standard trade or if they're even considered trade, but the things that I'm seeing a lot, specifically with women in this day and age, uh, my girlfriend, for example, a lot of girls are going to esthetician school or nail schools or beauty schools and getting the their um, license to do lashes, to do waxing, things like that, because um, every girl needs that. It's, it's like almost a priority to have lashes if you're in the 20s, maybe early 30s, um, uh, late teens. And I wouldn't, I don't know if that's considered a trade, if it is, if it isn't, but it is definitely something that is booming right now and even even um for men barber school i i know a person specifically i don't even know if he's gone to barber school yet but he does barber and he's like growing his um himself in his own personal business using social media so like we said there's a lot of trades you can do and if you have social media behind you you could have the best plumbing company in the world and if you're a good plumber you don't even have to do the plumbing you can own the company you know and so I don't like we like we're saying I don't I'm a big proponent of not everyone has to go to school I'm going to school because I'm going to get my um, attorney's license because I want to practice law and I want to do other things but that's something you need to go to school for and I'm always a big proponent of if you want to be a doctor 
if you want to be in the STEM fields, if you want to be a professor, if you want to teach, things like that, you have to go to school for that. But if you have something that you are so passionate about, we have social media and that's almost like you can learn. You can listen to countless podcasts. You can go to countless online courses. You don't necessarily need school. I, I firmly agree. And what one thing that really needs to change, though, is that other people need to get over their biases against people that don't have college degrees. You know, I mentioned people that go to these boot camps and then get jobs at these tech companies without having degrees. Well, that's that seems to be happening at the bigger companies like Google and Facebook. But at smaller tech companies, they still seem to want to discriminate against those that went to the coding boot camps and don't want to give them jobs. They prefer to give those jobs to people with computer science degrees. So really people getting over their biases of people with degrees over those that perhaps went to the coding boot camps or are self-taught, that needs to happen as well. I feel like getting over biases is something that just has to happen in general for the human species, you know? Um, biases is something that we are seeing plague all of us, you know? Um, that's something that always, always um, ekes me the wrong way. So one thing that I, I was thinking about so I don't give me a little background since we didn't really have a long discussion before this. I am a told you I'm pre-law, but I'm a political science and philosophy double major. I think I might have switched to a philosophy minor. So that's the kind of thinking I do. Not necessarily science, but you know, it's more like the um, society science kind of thing. I don't really know if there's a science of society. We can get into that, but and so um, shoot, what was I We're going with this? But, um, and so one of the things that I found with, with, shoot, where was I going with this? I don't remember. What were we talking about right before this? School. Schooling. Oh, yeah. And then the biases that some people Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And one of the things I found is like when societies start to degenerate, um, it's the biases that are behind other people against other people, whether it be on the counts of race, on accounts of IQ, on accounts of gender, when the biases with on the biases of you versus them kind of come into play, that's when it starts to degenerate. And, you know, like you say, it, it happens in the workplace all the time. And it really happens specifically when people think they're smarter than others. I've found, um, have you found that when people are condescending or even arrogant in a sense, but they are smart and they have a lot of background in the workplace, they seem to have a bias against, other people especially when they don't have this the, the yale degree or the the high sophisticated degree that they have or they didn't go to the same undergrad or they didn't go to um the same graduate programs or got the same uh courses have you found that to be the case unfortunately yeah that could certainly be the case at, at companies and if that and if that is well then you have a choice to make whether you continue on at that company or you go somewhere else where those biases don't exist or at least aren't affecting you to the point where perhaps you don't get a job there or it makes your job difficult to do if you do have a job there. Yeah. So back to you, man, back to what you do with teach the geek. What is the most interesting thing or the most, most important thing that you have found doing that? Well, it's really getting people to understand that their, their technical expertise is, you know, having that technical expertise is great, but if you're not able to convey it to non or to non-technical people, many of whom are decision makers, their technical expertise will go for nothing. Those, those ideas that you have, they will never get implemented. Because, so it's really important to be able to communicate to these decision makers. And, and to do that, you need to, as you mentioned earlier, get down to their level so that they'll actually listen to what you have to say. And so how or what have you found to be the number one skill that people need to learn to be able to do that, to be able to convey the right message, to be able to speak more correctly to their audience? 
It's knowing your audience. It's getting the sense of where they're at so that you can meet them there. I mean, when I'm an, uh, working in medical devices as an engineer, if I'm talking to other product development engineers like I was, I'm going to speak to them differently than I'm going to the salespeople who are, te- are typically non-technical. And when I, one thing I would like to say is when I used to have to give these presentations in front of senior management, one way I used to make, to make sure that I was addressing them in a way that was appropriate you know, at their level was I would go to their administrative assistants. Oftentimes, these people are really busy, so they wouldn't have time to meet with me, but I could go to their admin and ask them, what kind of information would I need to put into this presentation to keep them interested, to, for them to, to you know, listen to what I, what I have to say? I mean, a lot of times, if I was talking to the VP of R&D, they want to know more about the, the actual innovation, the, the, the research that was being done. But if you're talking to the CEO, he wants to know how that innovation or that technology is going to affect the long-term strategy of the company. So making sure that that information was conveyed in a presentation is really important to make sure that they stay engaged and listen. Yeah, and I think, you know, the day and age we're living in, engagement is everything. Eyeballs is everything. If you can get people engaged on your, so like we were, I was talking about earlier, your social media platform, uh, your podcast, they're, you're, you're automatically winning. And that is a skill and that is a tool. And so for you to understand that in, in person, I think it will, tra- it definitely does translate over to the um, social media worlds. But a question I have regarding those two, do you find it more difficult to engage with an audience in person or through social media? Well, I think it's easier to engage with people in person because you can actually see them and you can see their, you know, their, their nonverbal communication, their verbal communication. You can pick up on cues more easily than on social media because you don't you have no clue who's consuming your social media so it's a bit more difficult i would say yeah it, social media is a weird one too did you ever see um it was a documentary on netflix uh social dilemma did you ever get a chance to watch that no i did not so it's basically talking about how social media how they run the algorithms and how it's so dangerous because of how um they target you and they keep you locked in like it keeps you engaged and it keeps your dopamine centers it's almost like a slot machine you know um and that is one thing that i will say you know getting all this innovation that we were talking about and how fast it's going we're, we're moving people away from, and especially when, since COVID hit, you know, we're moving people away from interactions with actual human beings and moving them onto these square boxes. Now, this is better than nothing. Meaning you having a one-on-one conversation where I can see your face. It's better than nothing, but you know, better than everything would be us sitting across from a table because you can feel the energy. And that's something you can't get with, um, with being online. I don't know if you feel that way. I know you're probably very um, technical, you're very scientific, but I feel like, especially with positive people, you can feel the energy coming off them and you feel the conversation. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, yeah, I, I certainly understand what you're saying and I agree with you. It, it is easier to, to feel people's energy when they're across from you, when you can actually see them in person as opposed to over the, over the internet or you know, by, on social media. Do you feel that energy and other people's energy is a one is one of the ways that you have found to um, get people to engage with their audiences better and how to convey messages better is to get them engaged and get the energy up? Oh yes, yeah, certainly. And another way I think is helpful in getting people engaged in, in whatever presentation you're giving is to use stories. 
when I was a child and perhaps when people were children, when your mother or father read you a bedtime story, it was always a treat. But for some reason, as we get older, we tend to move away from using stories to convey information. And perhaps there are even people that think that for more technical presentations that like what engineers or scientists would have to give, stories are inappropriate, but they're still a very useful tool in getting people engaged and listening to what you have to say. Just being able to couch your data or your technical expertise in the, in the body of a story. And that is something that I've talked to countless people on the show and countless people in person. I don't know if you can tell I'm very talkative, <laughs> but um, talking to a historian, we were having this conversation about humans are storytellers. Everything that we know is stories, music, stories, everything creative, basically movie stories, music stories. Um, the way we basically create everything was they're all stories. You can chop it up to whether you're, or not you're religious or not. The Bible is a, is a compilation of stories. You know, we can tell truthful stories. We can tell um, not so truthful stories, but they all have this profound meaning on what it means to be a human, you know? And so for you to connect the story realm with, um, you know, the business realm, it brings us back to, okay, we still are human and we still are these conscious beings that are in these meat sacks, you know? And so like, to, we really need to connect with others to whether you want to sell something or just like live a healthy, better mental life, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, all a story really is, is information being conveyed in such a way that there's a clear beginning, middle and end. So essentially something happened, there were some things that happened in the middle and then there was some sort of outcome. With the presentations that I had to give in front of management, what was really important was to also convey a, a call to action. So if there was something that we needed the needed from the senior management in terms of either resources, perhaps you know, more more money for the project, more time for the project, more people to work on the project, that needed to be conveyed very clearly during the presentation so that the senior management would know what was needed and what needed to be done. For sure. You know, one thing that I, I believe, like you said, a call to action, that's like the one thing that they teach you when scholarly writing, you know, it's like you need a call to action. What's your call to action? I feel like the call to action specifically in speaking and writing, that's the place where creativity lies in scholarly work or in, in intelligible work and just work in general. It's that call to action because it's your almost, or maybe it's not just your idea, but it's the business's ideas. It's your group's ideas, but it's, that's where it lays. And that's where you bring your own creativity into into the business realm because people forget man people like to say like all right you know you work a nine to five you're in a cubicle life's not that creative dude you can make creativity out of anything and i hate that i hate i hate i hate it when people say that they can't be creative in what they're doing and if you feel like you can't do something else but you can be creative in anything do you agree Oh, for sure. Perhaps people might even have that misconception about working in STEM that it's all, you know, everything is, is technically based. And yes, there is a lot of technical expertise that's involved in being an engineer or a scientist, but there's quite a bit of creativity to it as well. I mean, if you think of all these inventions that are, that are out here that were created by, you know, with, with the help of scientists and engineers, there is some sort of, of creativity involved with it. I mean, it shouldn't just, we were taking in, into consideration just the technical requirements but people are also have this creative side to them. So that's something that we need to take into account when developing these products as well. So being an engineer, what are your thoughts on Elon Musk and his whole Tesla business, SpaceX, things like that? 
Oh, I think it's cool. I mean, I'm I'm not too versed on on Elon Musk and Tesla per se, but because you know I worked in, in medical devices, more specifically spinal implants. But I I really like his his ambitious nature and just seeing that there are no there are no barriers and he's trying to you know push things as far as he can go in terms of of, of innovation. Okay, you said spinal implants. Let's backtrack. Let's. Can you just give me and the audience a little bit of a? Because you touched on what you did before, um, teach the geek and things like that. But what you were um, got your degree in, or what you were practicing as an engineer before? You said spinal implants. Can you just elaborate on what that is? Oh sure. So I got a degree in materials engineering, my bachelor's degree, and then I also got a master's degree in biomedical engineering. And a lot of actually quite a number of people once they get that degree in biomedical engineering go into medical devices and I just happen to go into spinal implants and, and instrumentation. So essentially one, one instance of, of a spinal implant is that say you have a bulging disc, a orthopedic surgeon will go in, will, will go into your back and remove it and they'll replace it with an implant. And oftentimes that implant can be a metal, it could be a ceramic, or it could actually be made out of cadaver bone. So I worked at a couple of companies where I was developing implants made out of cadaver bone. So if you're a, a, an organ donor, your bones could be donated to these tissue banks and we go to the tissue banks to get the bone to then develop the, the implants out of them. That is fascinating. That's organ transplants and being a donor, organ donor has been something that has fascinated me for so long. Like the fact that humans can live with other humans parts in them is fascinating. Like one of the things that I know is like they're starting to use uh, cadaver Achilles on ACL surgeries and they're working better than usual because they're, they're thicker or they're stronger. And that's so fascinating that you worked on cadaver bone. So was the bone specifically from a cadaver spine or was it from other just random bone parts? What was that cadaver bone from? Yeah, typically it would be from the, the spine of, of a cadaver. Although in some instances, we could take bone from other parts of the body to use as implants as well. So I mentioned the, the implant that would be replacing uh, an intervertebral disc, but in some instances, we would also take granular bone from other parts of the, we take bone from other parts of the, the body and essentially make them granules. And we use that to stuff into various parts of the spine also, so that bone would grow there. It's, it, it, as, you, as you mentioned, it is rather interesting interesting stuff no yeah is there anything being worked i know you're 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 out of that now right you're not in medical implants anymore no not anymore um but do you know anything that if there's been any studies or anything done about those medical implants and being for paraplegics and people to be able to walk again well para yeah that's a little more complex because with paraplegics, the issues they have isn't necessarily with the bone, but it's with the nerves. Yeah. And so the, the there's a lot of research that's, that's being done. And another thing about nerves is that they don't regenerate once they're done. Once they're gone, they're, they're, they're gone. And so a lot of research is being done into trying to help with some sort of regeneration of these nerves. And a lot, so a lot of that work has to do with stem cells, adult stem cells, embryonic stem cells to essentially implant into those areas so that those nerves regenerate again. It's again, very interesting work. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I talk about with a lot of people on this show is, is Neuralink's looking to do that for Alzheimer's, right? It's looking to create um, or to stop the degeneration of neurons in the brain for people, for patients of Alzheimer's patients of alcohol abuse, patients of who have degenerated their brains. I'm, I think that 
if Neuralink works, it could be used in spinal injuries to uh, help people walk again. Because like you said, the problem is not that they can't, they don't have their legs anymore. The problem is that they can't use them because of the nerves. And so if we can get those nerves firing again, I feel like that's when you get people walking again. The whole thing is what happens when you merge, being a scientist, what you think happens when you merge bio, bio, biological tissue like neurons with mechanical AI things like uh, artificial nerves. Yeah, so I mean, all that all that type of research is is current. It's, it's, it's being done now, and we're 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 getting closer to, to there being some sort of 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 solution. But I mean, as you mentioned, when it comes to nerves, once they start to degenerate, we we have we don't really know how to stop that process or to reverse the process. But as I mentioned, there's work being done now to try to figure that out. Yeah, so let's talk about your children's book for a little bit, man. Just go ahead and like, I mean, you brought it up a little bit, uh, the background of it, but just talk a little bit more about your children's book, what it is, what's the story behind it and everything like that. Oh, yeah. So the the book that I mentioned is about my nephew, and he's asking me why his hair is the way it is. And I use science to answer the question. So there are a lot of books out there that talk about hair, but they don't talk about it from the sense of why it is the way it is. It's It's more of loving your hair as it is. So it's more of, I guess, uh, what's the best way to describe it? More of a self-esteem type of thing. But with mine, I want to take more of a scientific bent to it because I want to essentially take everyday topics and explain them in in more of a scientific way. And the first idea I came up with was hair because I actually didn't know why his hair is the way it is. So I had to do a little bit of research. And essentially, the book is geared towards children second to third grade. And I I, I presented the book for that age range because I wanted the kids at a young age to know that there are no careers that are off limits to them. So even if there are naysayers that tell them they can't go into STEM later on in life, if they know early on this is something that I can do, they're they're more likely to ignore those naysayers. Yeah, man, that's 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 awesome. And you know, that is a little bit of a self-esteem book to an extent, you know, it's, it's pushing kids or not even pushing kids, but it's like listing them up to make sure that they can, they have that like internal defense mechanism against naysayers. Like you said, um, something I thought about when you were talking about that was, you know, a lot of the talk these days is about what you should be taught, telling your children, what you should not be telling. One thing is that book is awesome. Anyone should listen to that. But the th- second thing is, you know, that's like the number one, the number one way, because we talked about this earlier, you want to like not dumb down your, your intelligence speak, but you want to bring the level down to where lay, uh, lay people can listen. If you can get second and third graders to listen and to be interested in that, that's like the ultimate goal, you know, because kids are like the ADD of all ADD patients, you know, they're all jittery and stuff but they don't even know what they want to do. And I I firmly believe one of the reasons that I study government was because of two teachers that I had one in eighth grade, one in uh, um, senior high school. Uh, You know, I'm I'm a smart guy and everything like that, but school never got me that way. But those two, those two teachers grabbed, grabbed me and they pulled me in, you know, and I firmly believe that interests, interests have to do with the way that you're learned that that you learn something and the way that you learn something has to do with the person teaching you for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes back to the, what I said earlier about knowing your audience. So if you're able to, to do that type of, I guess, I don't want to call it research, but I guess like reconnaissance 
to know what's going to grab those students, they're way more likely to listen to what you have to say and, and maybe even enact the things that you're even talking about, you know, while, while you're studying, while they're studying and while you're teaching. Definitely, man. So where did you get the name Teach the Geek? I actually didn't come up with the name. It, it actually had a, another name. It was called We Can All Be Great Speakers. It's actually a woman that I was talking to when I was telling her essentially what it was. And she, she's the one that came up with the name Teach the Geek. And I thought, oh, wow, that has a really nice ring to it. So I changed the name. Yeah, Teach the Geek is – it's. I like the, the backdrop behind you too, man. I only got this little sign that says Calling a Man's Podcast. Um, oh, yeah, this backdrop was actually not even my idea as well. Man, I, I take ideas from a lot of people. But there was a, a woman that I was working with in consulting when I first developed Teach the Geek. I, you know, I worked as an engineer. I didn't know anything about marketing and sales. So I hired this consult this consultant to essentially help me in branding and just positioning Teach the Geek in such a way that, you know, people would be interested in it. And for my podcast, which I also release on, on YouTube, so there's a, a visual component to it, she's the one suggested that I get this backdrop. And so I, I did. Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. Um, but right now, specifically right now in your life, what is interesting you to the point where like what is driving you what are you really focused on working on right now well it will be the second and third book of of the children's book series so i i didn't mention this but i plan on making the the book into a series of books in which my nephew is asking me a question and i use science to answer it so i'm really excited about that and then also developing other courses under the teach the geek banner Teach the Geek to Speak is the course on public speaking, but there are a whole other skills that engineers and scientists don't necessarily learn in school that are imperative or that are critical in moving up within an organization or just building on one's career, networking, interviewing, just a lot of soft skills, a lot of soft skills that we don't necessarily get while we're in school. What are some skills you can give us right now on the air about interviewing that you know of? Well, one, uh, one big thing when it comes to interviewing is doing your research beforehand. Don't go, in, don't go into those interviews cold. And also having questions to ask the interviewer once they're done asking, asking their questions because it shows interest uh, that, you, uh, that you have in the company. But it also shows that it isn't just a one-way street, that they're, that they're getting an imp- that the, you know, you're trying to get the job, but you're trying to get information as to why you would want to work at the company as well. That's actually fascinating. It's not a one-way street because nothing's a one-way street and you add value to a company if you're going to go work there or you're going to do anything just as much as you, they're giving you value by giving you a job. That is that is a good way to put it cuz nothing is a one-way street, you know. I think that's one thing we like I can say for everyone listening is like if you feel like you're down in the dumps and you're depressed, or you're down, remember that you add value to people's lives, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you're doing. You ha- you are in a network of a society where innovation of technology is booming. And one post, you can make one post and it could reach millions upon millions of people and influence billions, right? And so if you're down, remember that your life has more meaning to it than you think it does. And that positivity is the better light for the world. You know, I'm a big proponent of positivity big proponent of learning, big proponent of good energy. Oh, you know what? You're, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. And one other thing I would like to mention about that is, especially because of COVID, a lot of people were furloughed or even lost their jobs. And because of that, 
whenever now they're going on on interviews, they realize that there are a lot of people out there that are out of work. So they perhaps are in competition with a number of people for those jobs. And so they go into those interviews thinking, I, I need to do my best or it's all about me impressing this company so that they hire me so I can get out of that pool of unemployed people. But you still have to understand that once you start working this company, it has to be one that you want to stick with because you have to go there every day. So with, without, with or without a pandemic, it's important to still realize that it is a two-way street. The company needs to provide information to you as to why you would be or why you would want to work for the company as well. For sure. And like you said, COVID did hit hard, but also like, like I was talking about earlier, there's a lot of other things that you can do because I've, I've found that if you're really interested in something, you can build a skill and be really good at it. If you're not really interested in something, you're going to slack off and not be that good. And you're just going to work waiting for the weekends. You know, if you're working nine to five or not even necessarily, you could be working a nine to five and love it. But if you're working a job, that you hate going to and you look forward to the win for the weekends, try to find something that you, that you're like interested in, you know, and go see if you can score an interview, go see if you can talk to someone that works there, go see if you can intern, if you have any free time, go see if you can just listen, go see if you can take a course on it. There's so many things that we can do nowadays through technology, like we were talking about earlier that we couldn't do, or human society couldn't do even 50 years ago, even 25 years ago. And so if, if you feel like you're not where you want to be, go somewhere else. That's, that's my advice. Oh, no question. And to be more succinct in what I was talking about before, yes, uh, you want to convince the company that you're the best candidate, but the company also needs to convince you that they're the best company. That, yes. You always want to walk in feeling confident that, and you always want to inter be interviewed by a bunch of different things. So I work in a, an attorney's office right now. I'm, I'm a law clerk, an undergrad law clerk. And one of the things they always say is, you know, go talk to other law firms too. Like, don't just talk to us. You want to have your options, you know, like cases aren't specifically perfect for one firm or the other, you know, you'll find your match wherever you want to meet. And I think, think people can take that into their lives and f realize that, you know, it's not about, it's not about like, that one specific one that you want. It's about finding the best fit for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people feel stuck at whatever company that they're at, but they've never been stuck. You always have a choice. And, and so many people just think they don't have a choice. It's just, this is the company that I'm at and that's it. But you always have a choice. You you stay there and then stay un, unhappy or disgruntled of where you're at, or you, you make a move and, and you go somewhere else or maybe even start your own business, but you always have a choice. So, I mean, you started up three different things. You, you wrote a children's book. You, you started up Teach the Geek. You know, I'm sure there was tough times that you went through doing those. What is one way that you got yourself through the hard times of starting up companies, starting up writing a children's book, writing, now writing a series? You know, how do you get yourself through challenging when you're, you're your own boss kind of in a sense? Well, it really, it, it, it starts with me deciding that this is what I wanted to do. So I'm going to see it through. I mean, this isn't like you're, when you're working at a company and you're given something to do by the company and you do it because you're given something to do by the company. This is, I'm, this is fully, uh, when it comes to the, the businesses that I'm running, it's, it's all self-driven. I started them because I wanted to do them. And so it would make very little sense for me to not to have that motivation to, to see them through and, and to be successful with them. So that's, that's what I'd have to say about, you know, moving forward with the companies. And yeah, you're right. There, there's certainly been some, 
some low points, but what's really kept me going is knowing that I started this, I want to see it through, and I think it could be successful. So I get into a point. I don't know if you're ever – do you ever – have you ever delved into philosophy, Neil? No, I can't say I have. Well, have you ever thought deeply about things? Yeah, I was, I, yeah well, now that you mention it, yeah, I, I certainly do – I like to think deeply about things. I like to be introspective. I just never really thought of myself as a philosopher. What is something that you think deeply? What keeps you up at night when you're in bed? Hmm. Random thoughts. Well, probably you know the best way to go about moving forward with any of the businesses. So that's that's certainly what keeps me up at night. Well, something I think about anyway. I, I sleep really well, but what, what I what I really think about is how, how how to move forward with the businesses that that I'm doing, because you know I mentioned I was an engineer for a number of years working in product development. I've never ran businesses before, so there's a lot of there's a lot that I don't know. So really what's been really helpful to me is seeking out those people that do know and, and paying them whatever they're, they're, they're charging to get that knowledge so I can move more quickly as opposed to trying to figure it out on my own, which takes more time. So you're, you're going to pay either by time or money. You got to pick one. Yeah, no, and I feel like a lot of people don't take into account the first one, time. You know, that's a, that's a, I think about time all the time. You know, I think about time all the time. What am I, a rapper? Um, but uh, you, you know, time, you, like you said, people always worry about their money. I, I have to keep this money, right? But they don't think about their time. Time's the one thing you can't make any more time. You can't make any more time. You can always make more money, but you can never make more time. And at the end of your road, right, when you're laying in bed, right, and you're dying, you're an old man, hopefully, you're not going to be thinking about, mowing the lawn or petting the dog well maybe petting the dog or feeding the dog or or going to work the next day you're gonna be thinking about your life you're gonna be thinking about your loved ones maybe petting your dog i go back i take that back you might pet your dog but you're gonna be thinking about the things that really matter to you and one of those things is time could you did you spend your time in the right way and I think if you can say that, if you can get up every morning, this is actually something Steve Jobs said. If you can get up in the morning and look at yourself in the eye and say, I'm going to die and still go do that thing, like still, and you still want to do that thing you're going to do next, go to work, uh, go to school, things like that, then you're doing what you need to do. Absolutely. And I can say personally for myself, I will not be thinking about petting my dog as I don't have one. <laughs> well, get a dog and pet him. That's fine. But um, do, are you a dog person, cat person? It's very interesting. So actually, I mentioned one of the things that I do as a patent agent. So one of the clients that we work with with the firm developed an invention that's a, a leash attachment for dogs. So I, to support the, the inventor, I actually bought one. So I actually, yes, I have it, but I'm never going to use it since I, I don't have a dog. Why don't you have a dog? Would, did you ever think about getting a dog? Not really. I mean, when I was a kid, I, had, uh, I was bit by a dog when I was 16. So I'm kind of leery of dogs now. Yeah, I do get that. Do I love dogs though. I'm a big dog person. They just make you smile, man. They just they're the they're they they light up your world just like some people can. You know, some people can light up light up your life and I feel like animals are one thing that do that. Um are you a big nature person? Like do you go on walks, you go on hikes? Hmm, not particularly, but I'm not opposed to nature. Well it's you live in good. San Diego, so you probably go to the beach a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I go to the beach every now and then. It, living in San Diego is really nice because the weather is essentially great all year round. I don't have to deal with snow, which I very much appreciate. Where did you say you grew up? Did you say you grew up somewhere else? 
Oh, yeah. So I've been in, in California for about 14 years now, but I'm originally from Canada. I'm from a city called Brampton. It's a suburb of Toronto. So I know snow really well. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, it snows a lot there. I live in, so right now I'm in Vegas. This is where I grew up, but I go to school in right outside of Portland, Oregon. So we get snow about two, three times a year and sometimes a lot. Like this year we got a lot of snow and I like it because I never got to experience it, but I could imagine like experiencing snow for like a long time of your life. You would want to get out of it because I wouldn't want to stay there and have snow all winter. Oh yeah, because with snow comes cold and I'm not a big fan of cold either. I don't think anybody's a fan of being cold, but I will say, would you rather, here's a question. Would you rather be extremely cold or extremely hot? Like outside wise. Probably extremely hot because you could always take off. Well, maybe extremely cold. No, I, I'm not picking either. I, I need, I need the medium. I need the happy medium. <laughs> I'm not picking either. Yeah. Cause here's, here's my dilemma with it. I live in Vegas, so it gets to like 120 sometimes. But if you, you can always jump in a pool, but then that you know, then you're wet, and then it's like whatever. And when it's cold, you can always put on levels, let levels, yeah. But you get hot, and so it's like there's never you want to be inside, basically. Even if it's really hot or really cold, you want to be inside. Yes, yeah, so you want to be inside with some climate control, either some heating or some AC. Are you a prolific dreamer, Neil? Prolific dreamer. Like, do you dream a lot? Not like dream, like as in like I have a dream, but like as in like sleep wise. Like, do you dream a lot when you go to sleep? I do actually. Yeah. Yeah, is, I I have found that like more creative or the more people think they have a lot of dreams, and you know, being a scientist, you know, what do you think dreams are? You know, where do you think they come from? Do you think they're just processing of what your day was? Do you think they're a way for your conscious mind to communicate with your unconscious mind? What do you think it is? Man, I hope not, because I have some pretty messed up dreams sometimes. So, so hopefully that, that's not the case. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not well, you mentioned philosophy and, and deep thought. I never really thought that deeply as to what dreams are. I think about these things. All, I'll give you an example before I go back to dreams. Two nights ago, maybe three nights ago, that was me all the time. I had a dream and I was like seeing my family the way my family was gonna die and then i got to me and i woke up why did i have that dream it's a fucked up dream sorry excuse my french but that's a bad dream and then i i sat sat there and i thought about like processing nothingness like if i'm i would say i'm religious so i believe in heaven and everything like that but i was processing if there wasn't a heaven at the end of life what does nothing eternal nothingness look like for a human being because unfortunately my friend i don't know if you ever heard of the of the um vegas shooting in 2017 yeah my friend passed away in it and i was thinking about him and i was like what if he's not anywhere what does this time feel like for him like going back to time and i sat there and i couldn't get out of my head thinking about eternal nothingness for two hours and i think about these all the time and like I, not just death for for instance but like just like deep really deep thoughts like i have them and i toss and turn about them all the time and and going to dreams it's like dreams are one of those things that like i feel like sometimes your con- unconscious mind is trying to talk to you. Sometimes it's just internal wiring, but I feel like they need to have some meaning because evolutionarily speaking, why would so- why would we evolve with dreams unless they ha- unless they had some evolutionary benefit for us? You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a very interesting conversation, and hopefully, the 
the answer isn't, well, we have these dreams for, for nothing. But I guess when it comes to the eternal nothingness that perhaps exists at the end of life, it makes it even more important that you live your life to the fullest as you're here because we don't really know what's coming once we're not here. Yeah, and it's just we don't really know what infinite looks like, you know? Nobody can really – because we, we can't fathom that with our little human brains, you know? Like infinite is so large, and, it, and, and the universe and the, and the magnitude of the universe and, and the infinite worlds theories, and, and then just to think like there might be one time where there's an infinite amount of nothingness because we can't we can't imagine that because like for there to be nothing there had to have been something on the other side you know it's a paradox and so if 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 then we are something right now and they aren't something then where you know it's it's fat it's you see why i stay up at night i can't get through them you know i like talking to people about them and so i feel like I have a lot of theories of what consciousness is, but one of them is that we're kind of wired, tuned into these beings and that we get wired somewhere else. But like you said, regardless of any of that, you know, what it means to you is that you should live your life to the best of your ability and never feel and feel grateful for the time you've had and the time you get to have going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, for there to be nothing, there had to have been something. If this is why you're the philosopher and perhaps why I don't see myself as one. <laughs> yeah, dude, I just, I don't, I don't know if I see myself as a philosopher, but that's just how I think and it's the way it organizes my mind. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm also a very logical thinker. And so that's why it gets me so much because to, life is not logical. We make it logical, but it's not logical. We are sitting across on squares looking at each other through eyeballs and thinking and then speaking it and making noises and having each other understand it. And then I'm going to post it and people are going to understand it. That makes no sense. We make it make sense because we experience it. But let's just say one day we start doing this, you know, and we understood that, you know, we can't make, make sense. A lot of, this is a big philosophy thing too, is a lot of what we experience is we experience it like if you flip a coin a hundred times, it's not going to turn into a butterfly. You know that. It's just going to flip. It's going to be heads or tails. But now if it did turn into a butterfly, you'd shit yourself because that's not how life works. And so a lot of, our, a lot of what we experience on day-to-day lives is not very logical, but we make it rational because, because we experience it on a day-to-day basis. You know, for someone who doesn't see himself as a philosopher, you sure do sound like one. I don't necessarily even think – that deeply about you know various things in the world but this has been really interesting to to i guess really digest them more but being a scientist you know what do you think deeply on or what did you think deep in, deeply on being an engineer what was one thing that you thought about so much when you were working on the cadavers things like that i mean really it was just getting the, the getting these projects done I, i'm not sure working as an engineer that i thought too deeply about anything is just this is my job. This didn't, I didn't. I never really thought that my job defined me. I just have. I will, I'm an engineer uh, because that's what I went to school for. Is it's the job that I was hired to do. So it's really just doing the job to the best of my ability. I'm not sure I really gave all that much deep thought into the job itself. It was just more into making sure that the job got done. 
I get that. Yeah. And, and not letting the job define you is a big thing that people, I don't think, let themselves do a lot. I feel like, especially if you're successful in something that you do, you're almost feel like you're attached to the job, you know, and that's not the case. You know, people are separate. You can do many things, not just work your job. I feel like. Oh, no question. And if anything, that hopefully that is a lesson that a lot of people learn from this pandemic once they got furloughed or lost their jobs it is as if they lost their identities. Like I, I, this is what I was, this is what I am. If, if I'm not working this job, then what am I? But you had inherent value regardless of whether you had that job or not. That's a good thing to say to people. Everyone has inherent value. All right, man. What else interests you, man? I mean, like not all right, man, but like what is the most interesting thing to you at this moment? Like you said, it's working on things, but what have you been like found that's new in your life that you've been interested in? Well, working as a patent agent has been really interesting in that we get to, or I get to learn about other people's technologies all the time. So really learning their technologies in such a way that I could write about them to convince a patent examiner to allow the patent application to issue as a patent has been really cool. I really enjoy that part of the job. It's getting, getting access to, to essentially to people's brains and, and how, and their innovation and, and why they came up with what, what they came up with and, and how it's going to affect society and, you know, and benefit us all has been has been really interesting that's so that's that's something that i I really am i'm keen on continuing to do i mean patent agent being a patent agent is just it's a it's a a fun job what is one or two people or people and their inventions that you talked to that were the most fascinating to you well i really enjoyed that dog leash attachment that uh, that i've been working on because at least with the with this particular invention one of the the issues I, i guess a lot of dog walkers have is being able to obviously control the animal, animal, but also provide them with with uh, with water, and to be able to do it in one contraption has been kind of, I guess, would be ideal as opposed to you know carrying something to 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 hold the liquid and then the leash attachment. So essentially, this person that developed this invention combined the two of them so that you can you can feed or the, give the the animal drink while also still controlling them with the with the leash attachment. So that's been really cool to, to work on. And then another invention that I worked on was for was for a former NFL player. He developed uh what would you call it? It was essentially it's a an invention where you put it into the ground and it has a, a tape measure that's attached to it as well. So you can pull it out into various configurations so that football players can run different routes. So that's been really interesting to work on as well. That is fascinating. Yeah. Being a football player myself, that's, that's really cool. You know, like I can't even imagine what it's like to be a patent agent because like, like you said, it's like diving into people's minds and why they, why they are doing this and why it's, and you can see the fire in their eyes too. I'm sure. Like you can see them being so interested and so charismatic about what they want to bring to the world. It's that, that I can't even imagine how fascinating that is. Yeah, it, it certainly, you, you definitely see the fire in their eyes, but I mentioned that the firm was virtual. So you see the fire in their eyes on the computer screen. Well, man, this was a great conversation. Is there any other things you want to give to my audience, like who you are, or just like some knowledge from you? Let's see, any any knowledge? Well, I mean, I mentioned earlier that we all have this, we all have inherent value. So don't place it, don't place a job above who you are as a person. Your job doesn't define you. 
and you and I also I believe I mentioned this earlier too that you always have choices. You're not stuck anywhere. You always have the choice to either stay there or or leave and, and do something else. But the, the choice is up to you. I mean, thank you for having me on on your podcast. And if everyone wants to learn more about me, they can go to teachthegeek.com to learn more about the the work I do with engineers and scientists about their public speaking. And then I and I mentioned earlier, I also have a YouTube channel where I talk to engineers and scientists about public speaking. Really a secondary goal of the channel, which I didn't even envision when I first put it together, was the career journeys of these people. Just because you start off somewhere doesn't mean that that's where you have to stay. I mean, I, I did mention it earlier. You're never stuck. You always have the choice to do something different. So just learning about people, people's journeys and, and, and what they did with their degrees has been really fascinating. So you can learn more about the channel or check out the interviews at youtube.teachthegeek.com. And also, about, I guess, about the book, the Ask Uncle Neil, Why Is My Hair Curly? If you care to learn more about that, that's askuncleneil.com. Again, man, thanks for coming on. Um, it was it was great to talk to you and great to meet you. Yeah, same same here. Thanks for having me. Episode sixty two, Neil Thompson, Teach the Geek. Check him out. YouTube channel. Check him out. His children book. I'm sure his children book is awesome. He was a great guy to talk to. Episode sixty three will be out soon. Merch will be out soon. Calling a man's answers is the best new show out. What do I need to tell you? Subscribe. Follow me on my Instagram at Calling a Man's. And as always, stay demanding.